Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Windy City. If you don't live in Fontana and you drove in, you're like, what on earth? It's like, welcome uh, to the, the funnel, as we, we call it. We're glad you decided to be here with us. Um, you may have to like just kind of mat your hair and do different things, and, uh, but we're, we're really happy to be worshiping together. Uh, I have a few announcements before I dig into my, my sermon. First, uh, we have a new member that we'd like to present to you, uh, Brianna Scott, if you could stand up. She's right there. She's looking at me like, do I really have to stand? Yes, you do. Go, good wave there. Um, Bri has uh, been around for a few months and is serving our church. She's helping in our student ministry, in our uh, kids zone, and uh, we just appreciate the way that you've already jumped in. And she's gone through our membership classes and uh, recently just committed to really helping us with our mission. And uh, here at Ridgeview, that's what membership is all about. It's actually a no special or secret club. It's really a formal commitment that you make to help the church accomplish the mission that God's given us. And so uh, if you're interested in learning more about that, uh, let us know on your connection card. There's a place where you could check about membership. But Bree, we're really glad that you've decided to team uh, together with us. Uh, I also wanted just to thank a crew that helped us yesterday for a City of Fontana a Trick or Treat Alley. Uh, we had a crew that had our, our booth uh, out yesterday and uh, handing out candy this time of year. It's like you can never get enough, right? Until you get too much. Um, but they uh, just were able to meet people, invite them to our church, and it was right here in this parking lot. And uh, I just wanted to ask you, if you could, over the next few days, just to pray. Uh, we're just really aiming to continue to meet people. Uh, the key for a church is not just to get comfortable with all the people that we have. We thank God for all he brings, but we have to continue to extend ourselves on behalf of other people. There's people that are looking for hope. Uh, they, they need help, and uh, we want to continue investing in relationships with those that don't know Christ so they can get to know him, discover him, and, and their life can be changed. And so thank you to that crew that, that helped us uh, yesterday. One more announcement. Uh, coming up in November, uh, which is like right around the corner, uh, we have our Lord's Supper. And uh, we do Lord's Supper on a Sunday evening here uh, to really give us time to remember Christ's sacrifice, to take time to ask uh, God if there's anything that we need to make right in our relationship with him. We have an extended time of worship. Uh, we also have times where we pray through our relationships here within the church, with those that we relate to in our family and friend circles. And we just ask God to show us if there's any reconciliation that needs to happen. Uh, a church specifically uh, is made up of relationships. It's not a building, it's a body, a body of Christ. And so we take the time during the Lord's Supper to really thank Christ for his sacrifice on the cross, but also uh, to make relationships right and ask God to help us clean up any messes that we may have made through our sin. And so I wanted to invite you, if you're a follower of Christ, uh, the Lord's Supper is for Christians. If you're a follower of Christ, uh, come celebrate with us on Sunday night, November 12th. Uh, I think you'll find it's a helpful and important time uh, to slow down, to remember, and to really take the time uh, as we enter this season, like Sam mentioned, to really focus on what it's all about. Christ uh, came to this earth. He was born. He lived life. He died, and he rose again. And so we want to celebrate that. And so I wanted to invite you to the Lord's Supper on November 12th. So We've given you a lot that you can connect with and engage with, and so we hope that you take uh, a next step this morning. So let's dig into our series. Uh, if you've been here uh, for the series so far, uh, then we're continuing on some characters called the usual suspects. And you may ask, well, what are the, the usual suspects? Well, these are foolish tendencies that we tend to have, and these tendencies are laid out in Scripture. Now, they're laid out in Scripture, and they give us categories for a lot of times perspective and attitude, which leads to behavior. And so if you've missed any of this series, I just want to kind of catch you up, but we're doing a study on the Hebrew words of foolishness that ends up in certain types of 
behaviors. Now, foolish behaviors really show up most of the time in us when we ask a question, why did I do that? Have you ever said that in your life? You did something, you thought, why did I do that? And you surprised yourself. You ever done that? Or you said something, maybe to someone that you loved, your mouth opened, words came out, and it landed in such a way that you knew you had messed up. You ever done that? You thought, why did I say that? Well, foolish tendencies don't just appear. We don't just like pick a dart and like, you know, I'm gonna act like that today. No, they actually come from within us. We're naturally prone to do things that don't make sense a lot of times, but they make sense to us. They don't make sense maybe to the Lord because they're, they're wrong, but they make sense to us, and that's because we have some heart issues, all of us. And we have sin. And sin is something that we all have to deal with, and it's something that we deal with on a daily basis. But our foolish tendencies come from these embedded heart problems. Selfishness, I want what I want. Arrogance, I deserve what I want. And then we're even willing to damage people. I don't want to, but I will hurt you to get what I want. At the central theme of all of these is what we want. And we have goals. You have goals. I have goals. And we have strategies to getting what we want. And oftentimes, if those strategies are not right, if they're not pleasing to the Lord, they're actually folly. That, that's foolish. Now, in English, we have one word for the word fool. That person's a fool or I did a foolish thing. And you don't really know exactly what that means, but something along the lines of not, not smart. Maybe it wasn't wise. But in the Hebrew, there's actually nine different words for the, the word fool. So there's lots of, of shades of foolish tendencies and patterns. And we're studying five in the Hebrew Bible, that, that, uh, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, sorry, that, that show up. And these are these characters. And we've personified these. And again, this is my preface. If one of these is your name, this is not typecast. We've not looked at you and thought this is the sketch of that person, okay? Uh, but we started the series looking at the f- first foolish tendency, which is Lazy Larry. And Lazy Larry is the easy way fool. This type of fool plans and strategizes their life to get what is easy. They want the path of least resistance. And that makes sense. If you're somebody that struggles with that, we understand. Like you can wake up and oftentimes it's like you don't want to do what you should do. You just want to do what you want to do. And maybe you're not motivated by work. It's like, oh, it's so hard. I just want to stay in bed. Anyone this morning, don't raise your hand, but you may have felt like that. Okay. Uh, Not on a Sunday. Don't ask that on a Sunday, right? Uh, Number two, the the second character we looked at was controlling uh, Connie. And this uh, struggle is for those that tend to like to control people or circumstances. Um, actually, very similar heart problems than the, the lazy liar, but a little bit different. Uh, this is the reactive way fool. They use their reaction and their control to, again, get what they want. Uh, last week, we looked at our third usual suspect, and this was drop the ball, Doug. And this was the fun way fool. They don't go to the path of laziness. They didn't go to the path of control. They go to the path of fun. Whichever will bring the most excitement, pleasure, and fun to their life, that's what they want to do. Now, in each of these, you can see these kind of characters. If you're like me, you can see a little bit of them even when you look in the mirror. We have this. There's a pull that we all have. We can tend to control people. We can tend to not be responsible and want to be lazy. And we can tend to want to give up our responsibilities to have fun, right? We can all do that. And so these are are common for all of us because these heart problems that selfishness, that arrogance, and that damage exists in, in all of us. And those three fools that we've focused on so far come from that first heart problem of selfishness. That comes from the Hebrew word eveleth. It's a stubborn determination to get what we want. So it's very interesting. That stubborn determination leads us to either laziness, control, or fun. Today, we're going to actually up the ante on the fools. This week and next week, 
we're gonna talk about two fools that the damage is actually a little bit greater because of the type of heart problem they deal with. So uh, we've dealt with selfishness this week. We're gonna be meeting Spotlight Susie. And Susie, God bless you. You're here today again. We love you. This is not about you, okay? Uh, But Spotlight Susie, this is the glory way fool. So drop the ball, Doug, controlling Connie, lazy Larry, all come from selfishness. Susie actually comes from the heart problem of arrogance. That is, I deserve what I want. And that arrogance, because you put pride at kind of the forefront of your strategies, that actually has disastrous results. And that's what we're gonna be looking at uh, today. The Hebrew word for this type of fool is uh, the halal. And it actually is the root word for our English word of hallelujah, which is like praise to God. But the halal comes from the Hebrew word halalela, which is like self-praise. And we've talked about this before, but there's a struggle that we all have. Like we're all gonna praise something. We all worship something. We all magnify and elevate something. Well, the glory way fool, they tend to elevate and worship themselves. Now, if you look on the the program, everyone have a program, look at the front of that. Can you pinpoint Spotlight Susie? What does she look like? What is she doing? She's taking a what? She's taking a selfie. Of course she's taking a selfie because she's the best thing she's gonna see all week. It's the focus. It's like, and and, and you see this, it's it's in our culture. It's the idea of like, what are people thinking about me? And it's very much me central. And so uh, each week we've been talking about attitude and characteristics and we're gonna do the same. And so the attitude, I've already mentioned this for this type of fool, the glory way fool is, is just arrogance. That's that heart problem. Uh, characteristics of this type of fool is self-promoting. They tend to boast and they also tend to scheme. This is where that foolish tendency, there's a little bit more strategy to it. How can I scheme to put myself in a position to look better? How can I scheme to make it all about me? How can I scheme to make sure I'm kind of at the forefront of all that's happening? That's what glory seekers tend to do. That's very detrimental for relationships. It's very detrimental to your relationship with God because at the moment that you put yourself at an elevated position over the Lord Jesus, you run into all sorts of problems. Their key tool is pushiness, Again, if they want to be at the front and center, if people are you know, harming that and blocking that goal, then they tend to have to, how do I push and how do I scheme to get back to front and center? Let's dig into their approach to life. This type of fool is, is both boastful and haughty. That, that is uh, H-A-U-G-H-T-Y, the idea of like putting themselves again in front, uh, almost to the point where it's like, oh, that, that's a little cringe. You ever seen that? You're like, oh, that's a little cringy. If the glory way full, it's not cringy, it's beautiful. They're getting what they want. It's promoting themselves. Check out this Psalm 75, which speaks to this type of fool. It says, I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. The, the idea is you get two analogies here. You get this horn, it's this animal that has this horn. And the idea is like, I am just gonna put my horn up for everyone to see. Look at the horn. And you're just kind of, What about that angle? What about that angle? What about that angle? And then the haughty neck is like, I'm sticking myself out there, you know, like, look at this. There's a strut. In fact, uh, we've we've talked about uh, different animals, and I'm going to get to that in in just a moment. But uh, in Psalm 75, that word I say to the boastful, do not boast. I say to the halal, do not halal. Do not get into self-praise. Do not lift your neck 
so everyone could see you. Do not put yourself in a position where you're getting attention so people will admire you and long for you. Now, do we see this in cultures? Does this happen? Yeah, it's very normal. This type of person has a strut about them. Each week, we've compared a fool uh, to an animal. So quick review. Lazy liar. Uh, Lazy Larry, what, what was he? Anyone remember? The possum, right? A possum plays dead, like playing dead, except if you think he's dead and then he attacks, okay? A second week controlling Connie. Anyone remember the animal? The badger. Always pick a fight. Why? Because that's what they like to do. Drop the ball, Doug, was last week. Anyone remember the animal? The dodo bird. They're extinct. Bad choices. They had a lot of fun until they were clubbed to death, okay? This week, the glory way fool is this animal. Any guesses? Peacock. Now, when you see it, isn't that beautiful? It's so beautiful. You want to look at it. You're kind of mesmerized. Those eyes, like you're, you know, remember those old cartoons that they spin? You're like, whoa, yeah. Peacock, now the peacock does this actually as a mating ritual. It's to gain attention. Look at me. And they literally put the wings and they strut. You guys want to see that? Like, okay, I'll, I'll spare you all my strut. But the idea is you can never ignore a peacock. You ever notice that? We went to a wedding years ago at the Santa Anita, was it Santa Anita? Or Arcadia Arboretum. The Arcadia Arboretum. And there is peacocks everywhere. And here you are trying to focus on a bride on the most important day of her life. And all you keep are like, is that another peacock? And then you're like, is that another? And then they go, ah, ah, they make that noise. Okay, I'm sorry, guys. This is like, this is like a 3D experience, okay? But they make terrible noises and they strut their stuff all for attention. That is for their glory. That's part of their survival. This is how we continue multiplying. And they do this and you look at it and it's so beautiful. But if you live your life like this way, where it's all about you and you strut your stuff, what becomes very beautiful actually over time is very ugly. It's eroding, it's off-putting, it's cringy. But when all you're doing is looking at yourself, you don't even know. It becomes a blind spot. So that's one of the characteristics. Second is they talk incessantly about themselves. If you're into your own fame and your own glory, it tends to be all about you. One thing you really wanna watch out for in your conversations, have I let other people talk? Very important. Have I asked people about how they're doing? Very important. Am I listening when they answer about how they're doing? That's important. Am I not taking what they're doing and then just connecting it to what I'm doing so I could talk again? Very subtle. But that's part of the peacock. You're just kind of, it's about you. They talk incessantly about themselves. They also push to get on top through lying threats and even violence. This is where you see the damage is done even further. That's that scheming. It's so important. It's so embedded that they become front and center that they'll push their way to the top. Um, I was doing some research. We're going to watch a clip in a moment about Lance Armstrong. You guys heard of him? He's the Tour de France winner. Here's a picture of him. Uh, I think he won seven Tour de Frances in a row, and he was the greatest a cyclist ever. Uh, and then he was accused of uh, taking drugs, performance-enhancing drugs. He denied it and denied it and denied it. And actually, teammates came against him, and then he finally um, got caught. But Lance and people like him, uh, it was all about winning. Now, in sports, it's like that makes sense. It's all about winning. But at what point is it no longer just about winning? It's about you and your own glory. And that's really what he was seeking, his own glory. And that's the second 
or sorry, the, the last tendency is, is glory grabbing. If there's a spotlight, this type of fool will find their way in it. Uh, what I want to do is I just want to show a, a, a clip. I think it's about three minutes of uh, Lance Armstrong as he describes uh, kind of what he did and, and where he found himself. So pay attention to some of his responses. Uh, he actually uh, denied it for years. He had teammates and different people in the sport that uh, said he, that he was using these kinds of drugs. He denied it, and he, he ruined actually people's careers and reputations because what was happening is, is they were taking his glory. They were tarnishing his image. And then he finally came out and had an interview with Oprah. Um, this was about 10 years ago, and he, and he admitted it all. And so there's actually hope for Lance because he got humbled, and then he humbled himself. And uh, this is an interview. Uh, you'll see part of it. It's kind of a news um, report on him and then some of the interview with Oprah. But watch this and pay attention to any kind of this fool that, that you see. Let's watch it. Now to the stunning interview with Lance Armstrong coming clean to Oprah about doping to win. But did he really tell the truth, the whole truth? ABC's Neil Karlinski, who has covered Lance Armstrong for years, is here with the incredibly dramatic details. Neil, good morning. Elizabeth, good morning. It was surreal to watch. You have to understand, this is a man who has fought with everything he could to maintain this lie through vicious attacks, threats, and lawsuits. But last night, Lance Armstrong came clean, almost as if he just decided to flip a switch from somewhere deep inside. I'd like you to walk me through it. Were there, you know, pill deliveries and uh, blood in, in secret refrigerators? Was there, how did it work? <laughs> oh, we need a long time. Calling himself an arrogant bully, Lance Armstrong had no good answer to explain away one of the biggest lies in all of sport. I will start my answer by saying that um, this is too late. I view this situation as um, one big lie that I repeated a lot of times. The man who won the Tour de France seven times only to have his title stripped away admitted to using a slew of performance enhancing drugs in such a matter of fact way you'd never guess he'd done everything in his power to protect this very secret. Did you ever take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. Did you ever blood dope or use blood transfusions to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. He seemed to blame the momentum of his own story, surviving cancer, then making a comeback, for getting carried away. You overcome the disease, you win the Tour de France seven times, you have a happy marriage, you have children. I mean, it's just this mythic, perfect story. Yes. And it wasn't true. Was it a big deal to you? Did it feel wrong? At the time? Mm-hmm. No. It did not even feel wrong? No. It's scary. Did you feel bad about it? No. Even scarier. Did you feel in any way that you were cheating? No. The scariest. But he said this interview, his former teammate Floyd Landis coming forward and telling all in an ABC News exclusive was the beginning of the end. Many people think that the real tipping point was Floyd Landis and his decision to come forward and confess. I'd agree with that. That was the tipping point, yeah. What those who know him say was missing in the words, the body language, all of it, was any real sign of feeling, of contrition. Were you a bully? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was a bully. I tried to control the narrative, and if I didn't like 
what somebody said, and, and for whatever reasons in my own head, whether I viewed that as somebody being disloyal or as, as a friend turning on you or whatever, I tried to control that and said, that, you know, that's a lie, they're liars. Many thought the apologies in particular didn't seem to have much heart to them. And then, of course, there is the question of how much of what he said can even be believed since Armstrong clearly admitted to being a very, very good liar, George. That is the bottom line. Okay, Neil, thanks very much. Interesting. Uh, his life has actually never been the same, as you can imagine. But you can see the description, uh, arrogant, what was the word? Bully, right? That's the, the pushiness. He was an arrogant bully. And that's the idea of no one could strip away the glory that he was seeking. And before this happened, he was the most revered athlete in this sport, especially. Uh, he was a hero. And so you could see, like, when you're pushed into that spotlight and you get all that fame, there's an immense pressure to keep that. And, that, and that's what you see. And I use that just as an illustration. There's certain things, like, it's hard to relate, like, I can't hardly ride my bike five minutes, right? Like, I'm not in danger of winning the Tour de France. But there is part of us where before you know it, you, things can steamroll, and you begin to just think, like, how can I make myself look better? And that's in all of us. Oftentimes, it shows up very subtly. Now, the thing in our culture, and we just have to be honest with ourselves, is we tend to flock to these types of people. The people that make the most noise, we listen in social media and TV and culture, we tend to focus on these people that have the spotlight. Why? Because they have the spotlight. We like to see who's in the spotlight. We're pulled by celebrity culture. We're pulled by power. We're actually pulled to kind of watch people that have this kind of glory. It's in us. We're actually told to kind of revere them. In a way, we actually kind of admire them for what they are able to do. We don't realize it sometimes, but they have our attention. They have our focus. Here's just a brief uh, snapshot. In, in movies, they, they're the heroes. Uh, there's uh, Iron Man. Iron Man is actually super arrogant. I'm going to like ruin and offend a lot of people today. But Iron Man is super arrogant. Now, it, it ends well and not for him. Sorry, spoiler alert. But, um, but uh, you know, these characters, Fast and Furious fans, I'm sorry, but, but there's a lot of arrogance in there uh, as well with these characters. So in movies, you see these people that have this arrogance and they're like pushing to get what we want and you find yourself rooting for them. But what's the damage of the strategies that they're choosing? That's a question that you, you have to ask. In politics, they are feared. This is where I get in trouble. Good night. Just go over that image quick. Okay, there we go. I, I hit on all of them, okay? In the marketplace, uh, people with the most money, we tend to listen to them and when they speak, isn't that interesting? Oftentimes it's not asked, how did they make it? How did they make their money? Was it right? How do you know? But you listen to them because they have status. In a way, you listen to them because they have glory. They have influence. They're the most rich people we know. Uh, in, in music, uh, they have clout, brands, and a following. In the academy of science, they have authority to tell you what's true, right, and good because uh, they have degrees that tell you they know what they're talking about. Uh, social media, there's influencers. I got to admit, I don't even know any of those people. That just shows you how old and out of the loop I am. But in social media, it's like influence. Isn't that very interesting? They're literally called influencers. What's their goal? To influence you. It's actually not to influence you. It's to influence you, the younger generation. So think about that in terms of, I want to influence you by my own spotlight. 
Now some, now this is like blanket, right? But you, you get what I'm saying. Some are not doing this just in this evil intent kind of way. And some have authority and have influence and power and they use it in a good way. But there's always that pull to make it about us, to put us in the spotlight. We can find ourselves admiring these types of people. Psalm 73, I read this. It says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. So I'm on the right track, but watch what happens. It's like I felt myself slipping. In verse three, for I was envious of the who? The arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. These people promote themselves and it's going well for them. And then I began to get a little shaky in my faith. Why? Because I admired that. There was something about that that I enjoyed. For when they have no pangs until death, like no worries, their bodies are fat and sleek. Now for me, that's not a great description, but in the, th- this culture, Actually, the bigger you were, the richer you were. I've been in a, a mission trip once where I, somebody came to me as a compliment in uh, Southeast Asia and said, you are very fat. I was like, are we still friends? Are we even friends? Will we ever be friends? Like, and he was saying, I wish I was fat like you. That was a really dark time for me. <laughs> but in different cultures, that's a compliment. You have enough money that you could overeat. <laughs> When you put it like that, it's like, oh, dear, thank you. They're fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Every one of those images I just showed you about just from movies to music to culture to politics, you just look at them, you're like, wow, what would it be like to be like them? A lot of times what you're asking is, what's it like to be in the spotlight? Bet you that feels good. They don't have any worries. But what's very interesting and what the scripture is talking about is actually it seems on the surface that this glory way fool is going the right way. And before you know it, you can actually think that that strategy works. But then the scripture continues, verse six. It says, therefore, pride is their necklace. This is what they wear. This is what they adorn. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. They just mock things that are right and true. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? And the idea is they are so in the spotlight, they are blinded that the fact that they serve an almighty God who's more powerful, has more influence, and is more good than they know. And there's this promotion where it all, all, your whole bearings and understanding of life gets twisted up because you elevate and promote yourself. Uh, this can happen in family life. Uh, you can become manipulative with their spouse to kind of get what you want. Uh, you can do that with your, your kids. You can be passive. Uh, you can have strife and not own up to it because to own up means that you have to humble yourself and then to humble yourself, that Spotlight dims on you when you have to do that. Uh, in, in church, that can happen. Thankfully, here we have a lot of humble people at this church that really serve and do what is necessary to build a mission. But you can serve to get status. Uh, one of the things that we really try to protect here at Ridgeview is who's on the stage. Whoever's on the stage actually literally has the spotlight. You see those eye, that spotlight on me right here? Well, whoever is on the stage of a church represents the values of the church. So you have to be very careful who you promote. 
Same with leadership. In centers of power, um, do they actually serve the people under them or are they self-seeking? You could see this in all sorts of authority structures. How do people lead? Are they actually considering, considering and serving the people that they're, they're leading? Is it about them? Do they strategize to make it about them? These types of fools, uh, they cause havoc. Because again, that spotlight shines bright and they just want that glow. But relationships, they deteriorate. They crumble. Thankfully, it doesn't end there. There's hope. If you struggle with arrogance, and that's something that you probably know, you might have struggled with it all your life. If you struggle with arrogance, and all of us have a little bit of that, but if you struggle with it, this is why you need the Lord Jesus. You can't overcome your arrogance just like you can't overcome your control, and you can't overcome your laziness without help, supernatural help. Because if you can't place your trust in the Most High, then you have to place your trust in someone. But if you struggle with arrogance, it's like, well, who would you trust? But when you humble yourself and you realize you serve an almighty God who made you and knows you, then you can actually get your identity from him and you don't have to prove yourself anymore. You don't have to earn the favor. You don't have to appear like you have it all together. He is the one who gives you your identity. And that's why all of us must decide to follow Christ with our whole heart. So I just wanna give two steps to move beyond the glory way, this arrogance. The first is there's protection for all of us by getting wisdom. I wanna read this scripture and I'm gonna kind of move quickly here. Ecclesiastes 9. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man and by his wisdom delivered the city. Notice the description. Who delivered it? A poor but wise man. Yet no one remembered that poor man. He wasn't in the spotlight at all. Verse 16, but I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than what? Weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. The idea is there's actually wisdom in not getting into that pull of you have to be the loudest voice in the room. There's actually wisdom in realizing that there's things that you don't even know and you don't understand and you need to learn and you need to help. You don't have to always put your opinions first. There's wisdom there. This is the upside down kingdom. It's despised, but it's better than the shouting of fools. And it can deliver cities, and it's better than might. This is counterintuitive, but this is the way of wisdom. So how do you grow in wisdom? One of the things is you do what you do right now, is you come to church, you ask God as you're singing to realign who you are in light of him. That's one of the most important things I think about worship songs. It's a reminder of who God is. And as we sing to him, we're reminded of who we are. We do not praise any other man except God. He's the only one worthy. So when we sing, it's a reminder. And it tends to kind of remind our hearts, our cold heart, arrogant hearts at times, who we are next to him. And the second, as we get into the word together, 
we want to really soak it in and ask God, well, what does this mean? And what does this mean for me? And how do I apply it? It's always not just filling it the way you grow with wisdom. It's not filling your head with knowledge, but actually application, doing what it says. That's what's deep. It's not knowledge. It's knowledge that turns into application. So you always have to focus on that. You have to be engaged with a group of people who know you, where you can be known by them. And there's a commitment to loving each other and serving each other. That's how you grow in wisdom. You commit yourselves to people. You serve the church. Every time you humble yourself by serving, it chips away at arrogance. That's the way of the kingdom. Jesus himself said, if you want to be great, you you have to serve. You actually have to, the way to leadership is you walk down, you lower yourself. So those are some of the keys. Uh, Another key beyond just getting wisdom is learn to serve with humility and exalt others. Look for ways that you can encourage and put others in front of you. Exalt here isn't praise. It's really this position. How can I put someone above me? It's not talking about value. It's talking about I love you enough that I want to make your goals and interests more important than my own. That's what love is. Mark 10 This is Jesus talking. They're trying to figure out the disciples of their own place and they got into arrogance themselves. Who's gonna rule? Who's gonna lead? Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. He's actually describing the spotlight. They make the leadership about them. Verse 43, not so with you. He's speaking to his disciples, but he's also speaking to the greater kingdom of God and all who follow Christ. Not so with you. You do not make it about you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you've never memorized Mark 10, 45, that is a great scripture. Jesus himself served, laid down his life. So if you want to go the way of Jesus, you can't exalt yourself. It's this consistent denial. It's a consistent just priority of God. I do not want to boast and make it about me. And every morning you have to decide that. It's an everyday type of decision. I already mentioned a little bit of the stage here at Ridgeview, but here at Ridgeview, when you start talking about serving, uh, it may sound like, well, is there no leadership ever available at a church? No, actually, the way and the path to leadership is through serving. That's always the path. It's not through a title. It's not through a position. It's through actually getting down on your knees, just like Christ. It's like washing the feet of like, no, not literally, like you don't have to bring a bucket every week, like, all right, I'm ready, right? But it's looking at needs and opportunities and doing what's necessary to help people. That's the key to, to leadership. You bow your knee to Christ, and you serve people without any strings. What this means for me personally over the years is I have to take initiative. I have to take initiative to meet needs. I have to take initiative to help people. It also means that I have to learn to share Christ. One of the key ways that you can learn humility, and it's not about you, learn to share Christ with people. Why? Most of the time we don't want to share Christ is because we're, we're afraid of what people will think of us. 
Why are we so concerned with what people think of us? Because we like the spotlight. We don't want to look dumb. Why don't we look dumb? Oftentimes it's arrogance. One key way to get over that, share Jesus. That's why we're commanded to do it. I think some of it is that it will actually make us more humble people. Sharing Christ with others, especially in our culture. Think you think about sharing Christ. I can't say that. Yes, you can. You can if you want to be humbled. And most of the time, people will not humble you. It's yourself. You just have to get over the things that we think people will think about us. Many times, it's, it's projection. But the gospel is, is a move away from yourself. It's not about me, what people think. It's about the truth. So that, that's a key. Uh, in summary, I just want to kind of give a, a visual of the pathway to wisdom and humility. And in Scripture, there's always this, this picture of you, you have to put off things and then put on. There's this, you have to replace the things that are in our heart and fill our heart with, with new things. And this is the Christian life. And so this is just quick. There's four things. The first is you, you have to put off praising yourself. And then what do you put on? Praising God and others. So if you get in it, and this happens, and we don't talk about this a lot in relationships, but have you ever started a talk and you kind of just want to let people know about how you've done something good? You ever have that? Yeah, we, we all have. We kind of want to make it about us. Here's what I've done and how I've done it. Here's how I have some expertise here. Here's the experience I have, whatever it is. When you start to find that, that maneuvering, again, you're maneuvering to put yourself in the front. One of the key ways you, you just put it off, confess, God, I'm trying to make this about me. Will you help me to encourage this person instead of making it about me? You just pray and ask him. Right there. And, and he'll help you. Sometimes it's just we, we don't notice it. And number two, dominating others. Uh, we can dominate through lots of different strategies, and we have to put on serving and persuading others. Persuading, it's like this is the gospel, the truth. We want to serve people with that, not our own opinions. Uh, you want to put off becoming a, a free agent. Um, glory way people will oftentimes look for position to get influence and leadership. In the church, that means I don't commit to a church because I'm always awaiting a new opportunity to come. I've seen this again and again and again and again. Don't be a free agent. Commit. Commit to a church. That's protection for you because people can know you and they can help you. And then finally, you just have to put off your agenda and Christ's agenda. Now, all four of these, it's like, yep, that's really helpful. I just need to write that down and remember. This is the battle that we will have the rest of our lives, each of us. That's why being involved in a group of people that is the church is so important because we need help to put these off. We need to see examples of people who do it. We need to be reminded to put these things on. It's a battle. For the rest of our lives, we're gonna deal with arrogance. That struggle does not go away for any of us. Now, we have more experience putting it off and putting the right things on, but every day, you have have to choose it. So I wanna encourage you, look at this list really quick, and if you have your listening guide, you'll see it. Which one do you think you need to focus on? What do you need to put off And what do you need to put on? Just take 10 seconds to think about that.
You got yours? On the count of three, you're going to yell out which number. One, two, three. I thought I heard a five. Five is all of the above. All right? But, you know, we need to pray that God help us. Help us to take these steps. You know, this is real. This is real stuff. It, it, all of us have these struggles. I have these struggles. My family has these struggles. You have these struggles. This is why we need God's word. You see these warnings in Psalm 75 and Psalm 73. We see how we can just give our attention to the wrong things. The Lord will help us. Again, he's the only one that can change us, and he will. So let me invite Joel back up. We're gonna wrap up our service. We're gonna sing another song in the band. And I wanna just give you some next steps. I admit, these next steps this week are like kind of really straightforward, okay? We do this again to give some application. So the first next step is this. I will confess my pride to the Lord. Just, there's this area. I've been prideful. I know it. And you just might need to confess it. Do that. Confess that sin. God will forgive you. Second, I will serve someone this week without, what does that say? Expectation. Most of the time when we serve people, the expectation is that we get noticed for it. That's arrogance. And so serve someone without expectation. And then third, I will express appreciation to someone without expectation. Now, my wife and I, we have a little joke because I'll say I, I love her. And if she doesn't say it back, it doesn't count. You ever notice that in a relationship? Like, I love you, and they don't say anything. I love you. I love you. You know, you want to make, because there's always this, like, in, in a marriage, that's good. Like, if that happens over a period of time, there's a concern there, right? But you guys went quiet all of a sudden. Did I hit, like, a hot topic button? Or, okay, you get what I'm saying. But most of the time, like, when we express something, there's a little piece of us, like, well, do you have something to say? What about, what about me, right? We do that. We don't talk about that, but we do it there's, in, in our heart. But if you learn to serve and to encourage without having to have it back, you will be free. Because the Lord will pay you back for your good. He always will. And at a church like this, if we all commit to this, you're going to be taken care of anyways. People will love you and serve you as well. So pick one of those next steps as well. All right, let me pray. Oh, next week, we are getting to our last character. We're getting nitty-gritty people. Next week, we're going to look at, you don't want to meet that guy, Nefarious Ned. This is the predatory fool. So next week is more about how do we protect our lives from these types of fools. So I hope you'll join us next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for sending your son Jesus, who is the only way that we can change. And God, I, I do pray if, if we have pride in any way that's lifting up our horns or strutting our feathers like a peacock, God, will you just convict us of our sin where we're making it about us? God, I, I just pray that we will humbly recognize you as being the almighty one. If there's anyone here that's never decided to follow you, that today they will, that they'll, they'll bow their knee to the Lord Jesus. And God, I, I pray that as we notice things in our hearts, that we won't be defensive uh, we won't run, we won't justify, but that we will humbly bow before you saying, Lord, you are our God and we need you, we need your forgiveness. 
Thank you for the way that you hear us, you meet us right where we are. And God, we just confess our arrogance where we think we know better than you and others. And God, we humbly choose to surrender to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray, amen.